0: As a part of this scent series, one of the things that that we want to do is uh, kind of think outside of ourselves and think outside of where the Lord has placed us, uh, and so. Uh, We are going to have in in the scripture readings before we're going to have it read uh, read in English uh, where most of us hopefully will understand that Uh, and then we'll have it uh, we'll have it read in a different language from around the world Uh, and so uh, as we hear this uh, if we don't understand it even this it is the word of the Lord in another language which is just an incredibly beautiful thing and so uh, yes so we will read the scriptures now good morning Northbrook Church. Uh, This morning, we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission from Matthew, uh, in verses 16 through 20. Uh, My name is Jason, and this is Maddie Fagali. Um, She's going to be reading for us in French, and then I'm going to be translating into English for us.
1: Les onze disciples se rendirent en Galilee sur la colline que Jésus leur avait indiquée.
0: Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them.
1: Téquis la peur sur et la adorant mais y ne a sûre que pensait. Et
0: quand ils le virent, ils l'adorèrent, mais certains doutaient.
1: Alors Jésus s'approcha d'eux et leur parla ainsi J'ai reçu tout pouvoir dans le ciel et sur la terre.
0: Et Jésus vint et leur dit Toute autorité en ciel et sur la terre m'a été donnée.
1: Allez donc dans le monde entier, faites des disciples parmi tous les peuples. Baptisez les en de Pierre, du fils et du Saint Esprit.
0: Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.
1: Et enseigne leur à oublier tout ce que je vous ai Et voici, je suis moi même avec vous tous les jours, jusqu'à la fin du monde.
0: Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord.
2: All right. Well, hey, good morning, y'all. How's everybody doing this morning? Y'all good? Good. Um, I want to do something that might be just a little bit different than you're used to here at Northbrook. Um, What I want to do, I heard an amen, all right, so we're off to a good start. Um, Here's what I want to do is I want to read one more passage for us this morning uh, that goes hand in hand with the Great Commission, which is the scripture that was just read. Um, This is a passage that as you hear it, um, it, there's just a lot of similarities to those things. And uh, just to kind of prepare you a little bit, what it's going to do is it's going to lead us, us corporately to a time of praying for what it is that Jesus calls us to. So um, if you've been in church for any time at all, this is a passage that's probably going to be familiar to you. Um, So listen to this passage, Matthew 9, uh, verse 35 to 38. It says, "In Jesus." Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Um, This morning, uh, I'm going to be speaking with you about the fact that there are people on this planet who have never heard the name of Jesus before. Like you say, Jesus, and they go, who? Um, People in countries like the Maldives. Uh, which is a country that if you Google right now, um, it is the most beautiful place on planet Earth. Physically, it is the most beautiful place on planet Earth and spiritually the darkest. The Maldives is a country of 1,300 islands off the southern coast of India right now, about 400,000 people spread out across them, and what we know right now is that there might be 10 believers amongst the 400,000 people. Uh, The problem is that we don't know where they're at. They've either fled the country for fear of persecution, they've gone underground for fear of persecution, or they've been killed because of their faith. We're talking about people and countries like the country of Iraq. That right now as we speak and as we gather, it's a country of 35 million people, almost all Arab Muslims. And what we know of right now to date is that there's eight evangelical churches amongst 35 million people. Uh, What we know of, and this is as of two weeks ago, what we know of is that there's somewhere between 20 to 30 missionaries that are trying to reach the 35 million people. You see people who have never heard the name of Jesus before. And and in Matthew chapter 9, what Jesus does is he, he gathers his disciples together and they look out on a crowd of people who have not heard. And Jesus speaks to his disciples, and he says these really famous words. He says, hey, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. In other words, the problem that we have is a labor shortage. We don't have people who will go and tell them. And so you can imagine the disciples at this point in time that there would just be this angst, especially Peter, right? He's like a bridled horse. He's just like, well, well, Jesus, if the problem is that we need people to go down there and tell them, let's go down there and tell them." Like, let's go down, like, you're up here, we can go down there, and we can tell them all the things. And Jesus says something really interesting, is that he tells his disciples, he says, hey, um, before you go down there and you tell everybody about who I am, he says, there's one thing that I want you to do. He says, hey, before you get on on an airplane and you go on a short-term trip to these people who have never heard the name of Jesus before, there's one thing that I want you to do listen, before you sell all of your possessions and before you sell all of your belongings and you and your family get on an airplane and you go to the unreached, to people who have never heard the name of Jesus, there's one thing that I want you to do. He says, hey, before you get up on a stage and you tell people about the fact that there are people on this planet who have never heard the name of Jesus before, there's one thing that I want you to do. What's he tell us to do? He says, therefore, pray church this morning, we have the opportunity to be obedient to the commands of Jesus. Um, We have the opportunity not simply to be an audience who gathers to listen, but we have an opportunity to be an army who pushes back darkness. Amen? Amen? Like, Like, that's the church. While everybody else is sleeping in today, while everybody else is going to the lake, while everybody else is getting ready for the barbecue, not the church, we're awake. We are alive and moving and active, and today as a church, we have the ability to change the realities of what takes place on the other side of the world, because God accomplishes his purposes through the prayers of his people. And so here's what we're going to do, guys. I'm going to pray out loud, and here's what I want to encourage you to do, is to not simply be a spectator, but that you would enter into this place of prayer where we would cry out for those who have never heard where we would cry out that God would raise up more laborers that would go to those people who have never heard the name of Jesus before. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to encourage you, align your mind and your hearts with these prayers, and let's, as a church, gather together and push back darkness this morning. Let's pray. Um, Father, we come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus, the only name by which any man, any woman, any family can be saved. Jesus, you are king. Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, you are worthy. You are worthy of worship from peoples who have not heard your name before. And God, we ask that you would save them. God, I pray even right now in a way that you are already moving all across the Muslim world, God, that you would unleash visions and dreams of Jesus where Jesus, the living God, would appear to them and say, I am the Son of God, I am the way to God. And Father, we pray not just for the supernatural and not just for these crazy things, but we pray that you would accompany that with the proclamation of the gospel. God, that this morning that you would raise up more laborers who would go. Father, I pray that in this room this morning that you would raise up more laborers who would go. Father, we ask that one day as we gather around the throne of Jesus that we would look and see at this time and this moment in history as your church called Northbrook gathers together that there would be people who worship Jesus for all eternity because of what you do in this room today. And we pray, God, help us to believe that you can do that. And we pray that you would in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, Hey, you guys awake this morning? Uh, all right. I know it's Labor Day weekend, and you might be like, man, who is this crazy, young, energetic guy who's up? Well, maybe not young, but just an energetic guy who's up here dancing around. Uh, I know Randy introduced me earlier, uh, but listen, I'm, I'm not the lead pastor of Northbrook Church. If you're here visiting, my name uh, is Pete Fenfrock, and it is an honor and a pleasure to be here with you. Um, I work for an organization called Launch Global, uh, and what we believe at Launch Global is that God has designed the church to be the vehicle and the plan for getting the gospel to the ends of the earth amen the the local church is the plan and the way that we do that at launch global is we have a relationship with lots of different churches around the united states where essentially what we do just very simply and basically we embed people inside of the local church who work alongside of elders pastors and lay people to mobilize train and equip to send people to the ends of the earth and it is a really really awesome and fun job um Uh, Two weeks ago, there was this cataclysmic event that took place here in the uh, here in the United States, known as the beginning of school. Anybody know anything about that? And then two weeks later, there was this other cataclysmic event that was all the kids get sick from being in school, you know what I'm saying? Uh, And so that is the nature of what's going on in my family today. Uh, They wanted to be here with me, and so today, you're going to hear me say the words, we a bunch, uh, and as opposed to just going, well, he keeps saying we, and I wonder what these people look like. Real quickly, I want to introduce you via, I think, believe we have a picture. Can we do that? Here we go. Look at this crew. This picture is from like three years ago. I'm like, what is the best version of my family? This is it, guys. It just doesn't get any better. And for the last three years, we have not gotten better, so you get a three-year-old picture. Um, Hey, this is my wife, Emily. Um, Man, she is the apple of my eye. She is uh oh my gosh she, she's the brain of this entire operation uh you ask me personally i believe she is the most beautiful woman on the planet um she is with me still because she loves jesus a whole lot and you'll understand why here in just a little bit um the kid on the right that's my oldest his name is luke he's a basketball junkie like professional sports that's his thing and i, I keep telling him i'm like bro i'm like if you would study the bible as much as you study sports statistics we might actually get somewhere right and all my enneagram mates are like yeah that's right rebuke him in the name of jesus that's right um, uh, the, the girl next to him, she, that is my nine-year-old girl, Nora. She's a creative. She's a friend maker. She has me wrapped around her finger, and so whatever it is that she tells me to do, I do it, and that's just the way that it is, and I'm okay with it. Um, the youngest, that is our boy Sawyer. We don't actually know where he came from. He, he just showed up in our house one day and started flipping over tables and, like, breaking things, and we're like, oh, my gosh, who is this kid? He's, like, not even a part of our family, and we think that it's because he was born in the Middle East maybe he's got like a little bit of like Arab, he was born in the Middle East, seriously, Uh, he's got a little bit of Arab blood in him. If you're Arab, like no offense to you, it's just Arabs are highly emotional. It's like you're either a one or a ten, no real in between, and so he's just like always on that spectrum somewhere. He is a total maniac, and be glad that he's not here today because your kid would wind up with a black eye. Um, um, Guys, eight years ago, um, one of God's greatest gifts that he ever gave to my family uh, was that he called us to walk away from everything that America had to offer us. Our families, our finances, our careers, and eight years ago, we moved to the Middle East where God called us to be a part of a disciple-making church planting team with the sole aim of seeing Arab Muslims worship Jesus. Um, by God's grace over the years um, was able to help lead uh, kind of a a network of teams where we were um, using media to reach Arab Muslims with the gospel. Um, We were doing church mobilization. I started this thing called a hub where we were bringing Westerners over and training them and equipping how to do that. We were in Syrian refugee camps. I mean, just had our hands in a lot of different things. Um, And God did some wonderful and amazing things. Um, About 10 months ago, the Lord called my family and I to come back for me to take this role with To launch global, um, our hearts bleed for the gospel to get to the ends of the earth. Um, While we were there, we we met this person that really for the last three years, if I'm being honest, I've been trying to get rid of this guy. He just like keeps showing up. He showed up at my apartment in the Middle East like two different times. He keeps calling and he keeps texting. Um, I don't know if you guys know, it's a guy by the name of Reed Strobel. I don't know if anybody (laughs) knows him. Um, He told me that he's an elder here at Northbrook, but I'm like, are you? like? And so I'm here today, and I actually don't see Reed. Is Reed here? (laughs) He's such a liar. He's not an elder at this church. Uh, I'm just joking. Hey, guys, uh, another one of God's graces and kindnesses to me was the day that I met this brother. Uh, and I think most people know his story and his family stories of the ways that the Lord used him in the Middle East. But um, through different churches and organizations that we work with, we got connected. And the next thing I know, several years ago, still in the Middle East, I meet Jake and I meet Randy. And then that leads to a lot of other meetings. And uh, next thing I know, uh, uh, Steve Beck and I, we're, we're having conversations about all this stuff. And um, I just want to tell you, Northbrook Church, I, I am on the outside of this church looking in. Um, But it has been so encouraging for me to watch as the Spirit of God has awakened in the life of your elders and pastors to be a part and a role in seeing the gospel get to the ends of the earth. Uh, And I want to encourage you to keep coming to this church for lots of different reasons, but because of that right there too. Um, Here's the really cool thing about my job, um, and and something that I want to invite you guys into, is not only is God doing that here at Northbrook Church, He's doing it in lots of other churches, specifically in the city of Fort Worth. It's crazy. Like my job, what I get to do on a weekly basis is I get to sit down with pastors, elders, lay people all over the city who have a desire to be a part of this thing that we're talking about. And all over the city of Fort Worth, God, in this moment in history, like today, is doing this thing where he is awakening the church of Fort Worth to go, how do we get the gospel to the ends of the earth? And it is incredible. Like, I'm just kind of stepping back going, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know how you're going to do it, but he is doing it. Um, My prayer for the city of Fort Worth, I was praying it this morning as I'm driving over, is that God would make the city of Fort Worth a Great Commission city. That God would make, that that when the American church lifts their eyes and they look around and they go, who is it that's getting the gospel to the ends of the earth, that people would go, the city of Fort Worth is. And I believe with everything in me that God is on the front end of doing that here in the city. I don't want to invite you in to praying for that. Um, In our passage this morning, Matthew 28, these are the words of Jesus. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In light of Jesus having all authority, all authority, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey, to obey All that I have commanded you, and behold, this is what Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Um, The main point of my message this morning is this, is today, if you are here and you are in Christ Jesus, you claim to be a follower of Jesus, God has a role for you in fulfilling the Great Commission. Today, if you're here and you claim to be a Christian, that you are in Christ, the Spirit of God is inside of you, God has a role for you in the Great Commission, and this is the Great Commission. The mission that God has given His church and the, and the mission that God has given those who are followers of Jesus is that you would be a minister of the gospel, that you would be a disciple-maker in two places, to your neighbors and to the nations. If you're in Christ, the mission that God has given you is that you would be a minister of the gospel and a disciple maker to two places, to your neighbors and to the nations. And if you haven't figured it out yet, today is the nation sermon. Um, Just so that we're on the same page, and you guys know that I've talked a little bit about this already. um, When I say nations, this is what I mean. I am specifically talking about unreached people groups A part of the world right now that as we gather every Sunday in Fort Worth, Texas, and as churches gather all over the Metroplex, and churches gather all over the United States, and I gather in Graham, Texas with my church, as we gather Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, 32.4% of the world's population has never heard the name of Jesus. These are people who have little to no access to the gospel. What I mean by that are there are people today that they will live, they, they will wake up one day, right, when they, when, 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 when they are birthed. Sorry, I don't know what word I'm trying to find here. When, when, when they come alive and to the time that they die and they will never hear the name of Jesus There are people on this planet who could walk for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles and they would never encounter a Christian. There are people who would walk for hundreds of miles and they would never, ever, ever come across like what we're doing today where we're gathering as a church. Listen, there are people who will never even see a Bible. And I'm saying that because I've lived amongst them. And I've been to those places like you say Jesus and they go, who? What are you talking about? Um, here's what I know, is that today, in, in a room this size, however many people we have here, we, we, we have this spectrum of people. Um, on, on one end of the spectrum, you have somebody who was like me 17 years ago, who I walked into a church, no joke, we were talking about this, Right, I, we didn't tell the story, but I was a part of a church plant in an elementary school, where we sat up chairs every week, and we did all the things, and I walk in going, I've never experienced anything like what's going on. I've never, a a church and a school, this is crazy. And I walk in and a guy comes up on the stage and he starts telling me that there's people on the planet who have never heard the name of Jesus. And I remember sitting there looking around and I'm looking at all these people who are gathered and I'm like, does anybody else think that this guy's up here lying to them? Like, look around, there's churches on every corner. What are you talking about? People who have never heard of Jesus, no churches. They're, They're everywhere. You might be on that end of the spectrum. Listen, or you might be on the other end of the spectrum where you're like the Strobel's, the Beck's, my family. You might even have experience where you've been. You heard that many years ago, and you were so compelled by it that you're like, we're going to walk away from everything, and we're going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. You might be over there, or you might be over here, or you might be somewhere in between, but the reality is that as a Christian and follower of Jesus, God has a role for you in getting the gospel to the ends of the earth. Um, And here's my hope and my desire today, church. The thing that I was praying for every, didn't even know who you were and I was praying for you, that very simply is that you would be able to identify where you're at on that spectrum and very simply by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would see the next step that God's calling you to in your role, and your involvement of the Great Commission and you would take that next step. Not get on a plane and go to the ends of the earth, unless that's the next step for you. Whatever that next step is, is that you would see it and you would be faithful by the power of the Holy Spirit to take that step. Um, now, here's what I know. Uh, I mean I have been in these circles long enough where this, this is a, uh, a conversation. Uh, there's kind of two primary barriers that I've, that I've experienced and that I've talked through with people as they're thinking about getting the gospel to the ends of the earth, being a great commissioned Christian. The first one is this. Um, in these conversations, one of the things that you see, and, and nobody has like, nobody ever like comes out and says this, but it's, but it's implied in lots of different ways, is that in the church and in the Christian life, there, there's kind of two teams in the church. There's the varsity team and there's the JV team. There's the A team and there's the B team. And, and the A team, what they do, they're the ones who, man, they're inviting their neighbors over and they're sharing the gospel with them. They're the ones who are going to the Middle East on short term trips. They're the ones who are like, I mean, talking varsity, varsity, like the starting five on the varsity. They're the ones who are getting on airplanes, walking away from everything, giving their lives to seeing the unreached. You see, that's the varsity team. And again, we would never say this. We just kind of live like this. Uh, the JV team, well, we're the people, man, we, we should, we'll show up to church. We'll even show up to a small group. We, we might even like set some chairs up uh, on a Sunday morning. We, we might do these kinds of things. But man, those people over there, that's the varsity team, and we're a part of the JV team. Um, the problem with that is the Bible. The Bible just doesn't give any inclination that there's two different teams. You see, God calls it the church. And from the moment that you, that you are born again and the Spirit of God indwells you, you are then given the task and the mission of making disciples of all nations. There is no varsity team and there is no JV team. There's one team and it's called the church. Um, here's the other barrier that, that I've kind of seen and come across when it comes to this. Um, my wife and I, many, many times over the years, the thing that, that has been said to us, um, it, it goes something like this. Um, man, we could never do what your family does. We could never do that. And that's all the way from like before we went overseas to when we went overseas to to right now. Just kind of our involvement of going, we're gonna be globally minded Christians getting the gospel to the ends of the earth. People say this, we could never do what your family does. And so as I enter into those conversations and kind of begin to peel back the onion and go, hey, like, what are you actually saying here? This is kind of the thought and the idea, I think, that that's kind of, that people are feeling. And it goes something like this, that my wife and I just woke up one day and we are like, you know what? We don't have anything else better to do. We should get on an airplane and we should move to the Middle East and at that time take our two young kids that were four and two, move to the Middle East and make disciples and plant churches amongst Muslims. Like that's kind of what's implied. It's like we just woke up one day and we're like, you know what? Let's do this. It's awesome. Garage sale, plane tickets. Here we go. This is going to be fun. Smile, everybody. Let's take a picture. And the reality is, guys, and again, that sounds so far-fetched. But I think it's easy for us to think things like that. And here is the reality is that when my wife and I look back over the last 15 years of how we ever, ever, ever got to a place where we would consider getting on an airplane and moving our family to do this, when we look back, we see 10,000 little steps that we took. 10,000 little steps day by day, week by week, month by month, and we see five or 10 huge steps that we took, that God placed in front of us, and we said, God, I don't know how we're gonna do this, but we're gonna do it. Right, and that, that's the Christian life. That is progressive sanctification, right? You, like five years down the road of following Jesus, taking these small steps, and one day you look up and you look back and you're like, oh my gosh. Like, look at who I've become. L- look at where I've been. Look at what God has done in me and through me. And the same thing is true of being a great commissioned Christian. It's 10,000 small steps and five to ten really big ones, um, and so here's what I want to do with the rest of our time, and guys, just so you know, my, like, I, I am a pastor at heart. I was telling Jake this before. I'm like, I am so used to, like, hey, we're gonna find a text, and we're gonna exposit it. We're gonna go verse by verse, and that's gonna be a thing, and as I was praying uh, specifically about our time with, Nor- about my time with Northbrook today, i was just saying, God, what are you, what are you saying? What do you want me to do? And just kind of wrestling through this idea that God calls every person who's in Christ to be a follower of Jesus. And, and very simply, all we have to do is take the next step. Um, as my wife and I were kind of looking back over the last 15 years of our lives and how we got to where we are today, and let me, let me just say this real fast um, don't mishear me. What I am not saying is that God is calling every single person to get on an airplane to walk away from what you're doing and to go to be a disciple maker and church planter for the rest of your life. I'm not saying that. Because trust me, I I have seen people who have done that who weren't called to do that and it's a train wreck. What I am saying though is that God calls every person here to be faithful to the task that he's given us. It's about faithfulness. And so when my wife and I look back over the last 15 years, as God did get us to a place where that's what we did and that's what he called us to do, I've just kind of wrestled of like, God, okay, we took 10,000 small steps, five to 10 really big steps. What were the things that you did in our lives to keep us on this journey? Like if you came to me and said, hey man, I'm, I'm about this, I'm, I'm good with that, like I want to keep moving forward, what would you suggest that I do? What are the things that you all did? And there were two things. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to share real quickly what those things are. And then I'm going to give you a story of how they played out in our lives. And then we're going to be done. The first is that we wrapped our lives up in the word of God. That this book became our lives. Where we just said, God, whatever it is that you say to do here, that's what we're going to do. It was the word of God, but not only was it the word of God, the second one was by having faith in God. The word of God and faith in God were the things that kept us on this conveyor belt of faithfulness to the task that he called us to. And so I want to share just a couple of things from that. So first off, the word of God. Um, I still remember the day that a guy sat down in front of me and and he was like, hey man, tell me about the great commission and tell me about what you think about missional, like like what is the, the command that God gives us? And I go, Well, Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. And he was like, yeah, but what else? And I was like, what do you mean, what else? Like, like, that's it. And he goes, oh, have you ever read your Bible before? And I was like, what, excuse me? And what he did is he opened up his Bible and he walked from Genesis to Revelation to show me how the Great Commission isn't simply one verse and one part of the Bible. It's actually the entire thing. That from beginning to end, God's heart and design has always been him moving towards restoring and reconciling all nations and all people groups to himself from Genesis to Revelation, with the culmination being Revelation 6 and 7, where people from every tongue, tribe, nation, and people group gather around the throne of Jesus, and they worship him forever. And so my wife and I, it was almost like the Bible got got unlocked for us. And I don't, like, not conspiracy theory unlocked, but like, it was just like, whoa! Like, God has been doing this through all of history, and all we have to do is step into it, and we get to be a part of what God's doing. You see, the meta-narrative of scriptures from Genesis to Revelation is God is redeeming and restoring, reconciling all people groups to himself. God was speaking generally to us through his word. Um, But not only was there a general time that the Lord spoke to us, there was a very specific time that God spoke to us. And I'm going to tell you right now, in this, you know, I talked about the 10,000 steps and the 5 to 10 big ones. This was a huge, huge step that God called us to. Um, as he was calling us to play our role and our part in the Great Commission. Several years ago, I was in Northwest Arkansas, and my pastor came to me and he said, "Pete, he said, I want you to preach a message on the persecuted church." And I was like, "Oh, nice light topic. Like Christmas Eve service, or like when you, when do you want me to preach that?" Um, and, and, and I was like, man, the persecuted church, okay, like, in, in, in my kind of travels and a couple of short-term trips that I had been on before, um, I had met Christians around the world who had faced persecution for being followers of Jesus, but in regards to the Bible and what the Bible said about it, I just, like, I wasn't familiar with that, and so, man, I just, I got the Bible, and I just dove into it, because I'm like, I'm gonna be standing up preaching a sermon about this, and here's what I found from the Bible, there was this this truth that the Lord gave me from the scriptures, and it's this, is that God uses persecution and martyrdom as a means for the gospel to get to the ends of the earth. God uses persecution and martyrdom as a means for the gospel to get to the ends of the earth. Here's what I mean by that. In, In Acts chapter 1, This is in the same setting of the Great Commission. Jesus says, go and make disciples. In Acts chapter 1, the very last words that Jesus speaks to his disciples is this. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, Jesus tells his disciples, you are going to receive the Holy Spirit, and the purpose of you receiving the Holy Spirit is so that you might bear witness about the name of Jesus in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit. Um, Well, here's what's really interesting, is that Jesus gives that command to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, and you know what happens after that? the gospel stays in Jerusalem. If you read through that lens, and that is the lens in which you should read through the book of Acts, the the gospel stays in Jerusalem. It doesn't go to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So you just start reading chapter after chapter through the book of Acts, and everything that's taking place is taking place in Jerusalem. And you're like, what the heck? Weren't these guys doing what Jesus called them to? That is until you get to Acts chapter 7, When the Lord raises up a man by the name of Stephen, Stephen is a deacon in the church. uh, uh, Stephen is a man, the Bible says, is full of the Holy Spirit, of faith and wisdom. Uh, The power of God begins to work through Stephen, and signs and wonders and miracles are taking place through his life. But not only that, Stephen is going around full of the Spirit of God proclaiming the gospel, which is incredible, except for the religious leaders at that time hated Stephen. They hated Jesus, they hated the message, they hated Stephen because of what he he was doing in the early church, and so the religious leaders of the time, they grab Stephen, they drag him outside of the city gates, and they begin to stone Stephen to death. Um, Just to push pause on that, there's something really, really cool in this story that that I've seen and that has just kinda stuck with me over the years. Um, Every time that you read the Bible, and it talks about Jesus being in heaven, what does it say that he's doing and where does it say that he is? It says that he is seated at the right hand of the Father every single time in the Bible. When we get a glimpse of heaven, it says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father every single time except for one. And that's at the end of Acts chapter 7 while Stephen is being stoned to death. It says that Stephen gazed up into heaven and he saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Imagine this man, Stephen, who is laying down his life for Jesus. As he gazes up into heaven, and he sees this Jesus, this Son of God, who gave his life for him, standing in awe and honor as he watches Stephen give his life for him. It's beautiful. And at the end of Acts chapter seven, what we see is that Stephen becomes the first martyr in the history of the church as he's stoned to death by the religious leaders. It's tragic. And in the very next verse, in Acts eight, verse one, this is what the Bible says. It says a great persecution arose against the church and they were scattered to where? To Judea and to Samaria, Acts chapter 11 tells us, and to the ends of the earth. You see, God uses persecution and ultimately martyrdom as a means for the gospel to get to the ends of the earth. And and I remember, so I'm studying for this sermon, and the Lord shows me this, and I'm just like, whoa! And the Lord just like gripped my heart. I don't know if you like, if the Lord has just ever gripped your heart with the word. And I'm like, I am pumped, I'm jazzed, I'm excited, I'm like, this is crazy, and I don't even know how to talk about this, but it's just like, man, the Lord did something in my heart. And so I go, and I preach this sermon, and the Lord used it, and then I'm getting opportunities to preach at other churches, and I'm, I'm traveling around, and the message that I'm preaching at all these churches is, God uses persecution and ultimately martyrdom as a means for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth and and one day i'm like you know five churches in and my wife comes up to me and she goes um hey excuse me um do you realize that you're traveling around all these churches and you're talking about persecution and martyrdom and i'm like i know it's crazy i don't know what like i don't know why god's doing this but he just did something in my heart and here just to let you into my mind like and to let you into my heart here's what i was thinking as i was doing this is that god is using pete to prepare his church pastor, Pete the preacher, God is using me to prepare the church. And here's what I didn't know is that God was using his word to prepare me. So the next thing I know, we go down to Austin, Texas. I'm helping to pastor and lead a church called the Austin Stone. About the time that my family and I arrived there, the very first church planting team that goes into North Africa, that they leave to North Africa to go and make disciples and plant churches uh, amongst Arab Muslims. Um, On that team, two pastors from the Austin Stone actually walked away from the pastorate to join that team. Um, One of them is a man by the name of Ronnie Smith, just an incredible speaker, an incredible Bible teacher. Um, And I'll never forget the day and where I was sitting when I get a phone call from my boss. My boss one of the elders of our church, and he goes, uh, he said, Peter, you sitting down? And I thought, well, that's an interesting way to start this conversation. Um, He said, Ronnie was just killed in North Africa. And I said, what? He said, Ronnie went out for a run, just so you know, they're ministering in, in probably the top two most dangerous countries in the entire world. Ronnie went out for a run and he's listening to a sermon by by John Piper called The Church and the Age to Come. (laughs) And while he's running down the street, a group of terrorists pull up next to him, a group of extremists, and they gun him down in the streets. And Ronnie Smith gave his life to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. But I remember, and let me just say this, if anyone that you know of tries to glorify martyrdom they're a fool it is tragic and it is horrible and it's beautiful because the lord's plans are bigger than any of our plans but so i remember i'm sitting there going i'm trying to wrap my mind around this i'm trying to go like god what do you mean like what do you mean ronnie like are you even in control of this and as the days kind of went by i The Lord and his word and what he did, this word that had been sown for years before, that God uses persecution and ultimately martyrdom as a means for the gospel to get to the ends of the earth. That word begins to roll back into my heart. And I'm like, okay, God, like, I believe your word. I believe it's true. I believe that you have purposes. I believe that you have a plan. But how are you going to do that? How are you going to use the death of Ronnie, the martyrdom of Ronnie, to get the gospel to the ends of the earth? Um, Several days later, after I'm having those thoughts, this pastor and theologian, many of you might be familiar with, a guy by the name of John Piper finds out about Ronnie, He finds out about what happens. Uh, Ronnie left behind his wife, Anita, little boy, Hosea. And John goes and and meets with them, talks with them. And he felt so compelled uh, by what he had heard and what he had experienced that he writes a letter to the evangelical church, letting them know about the life and the death of Ronnie, you can find it online. And in the last words of John Piper's letter to the American church, he says these words. He says, I'm calling for thousands of people to rise up and take Ronnie Smith's place amongst the nations. And the best way that I can explain this is that for the last several years, as the word of God had been sown in my heart, again, I think I'm preparing the church that God uses persecution and ultimately martyrdom as a means for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. It's like God had been pouring gasoline on my heart for the last several years as I was preaching that message. And when my wife and I both, whenever we read those words by John Piper, I'm calling for thousands of people to rise up and take Ronnie Smith's place amongst the nations. It's like the Lord struck a match and dropped it on our hearts and said, I'm calling you and your family to be part of those thousands. This huge, huge, huge step in the midst of seeing a brother killed for the gospel, God calls us to go. Here's the crazy part about it. Several months later my wife and I, were actually, I'm, I'm a campus pastor at the Stone and I'm getting trained to go overseas, my whole family is. We move into these apartments, reaching internationals with the gospel, waking up 5 o'clock in the morning crying out to the Lord to reach internationals and one day I'm, we're praying, 5am we're on this carpet in the middle of this apartment, we're just praying and this guy walks in I have no idea who he is this guy walks in and he starts praying. I'm like, man, who is this guy? And the next thing I know, my wife and I are sitting across the table from him and it was Ronnie Smith's best friend who was with him in the country that he was in when he got killed recruiting a team to go back to that country to reach the people who killed Ronnie. And that's the team that we signed up to join. It's insane. Now, we didn't go back to that country. God changed plans. We went to a country around it. But for us, this journey that the Lord took us on, like there were 10,000 steps that led us to that point where we would ever consider taking our four-year-old and two-year-old to that country. But it was through the word of God and him moving in our hearts. That he, that he got us to that place. I wanna encourage you, wrap your lives up in the word of God. Second one, I'm hoping this is gonna go a lot faster. Goodness gracious, that took a long time. Um, the second one, it was the word of God and faith in God. The word of God and faith in God is what moved us along in this journey. Um, Hebrews 11:6, six, a passage, that, or a verse that many of y'all are fam- familiar with, that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Like, we can't even make God happy without faith. And one of my great concerns for us and one of my great concerns, especially for the American church, is that we've gotten to a place where everything has to make sense. Uh, we, we've got to get all of our ducks in a row. Man, if we get steps 1 through 37, we're good. If step 138's a little bit out of whack, we're like, man, we can probably, like, we might be able to trust the Lord. But everything for us has gotten to a place where, like, we have to make sense of everything. And, and, and here's the reality, like, the Bible does make sense. You can go really deep down the rabbit hole and the Bible is one story and it is factual and it makes so much sense and yet the reality is for the Christian that faith is the doorway into the kingdom, right? Faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ but it's also the pathway through the kingdom. Faith is the doorway in the kingdom but it's also the pathway through it. Last one and I'm done. One of these 10,000 little steps that the Lord took us to. Um, it could be really easy if I'm sitting in your shoes to be like, Pete, you're a pastor. We're a pastor. Pete, you're a missionary. Pete, you lived overseas. Of course God would do something like that through you. And so you just kind of throw it out. God would use you because you're on that team. Um, most of what God did in my life and most of what God did in my wife's life was before we were ever on staff at a church and ever full-time overseas. And 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 here's one of those opportunities that the Lord gave us. In fact, this was this happened one to two years after I became a follower of Jesus. I walk into this church plant, same one where I start hearing about unreached people groups, directly after the service, pastor's up here preaching. He closes down the sermon, and I'm sitting back here in the back, and he makes a beeline for me. I'm like, man, this dude, is he like going to tackle me, or what's going on? And and he gets my wife, and I said, Pete, here's what I'm doing. He said, "Um, in one month, he said, I'm taking a team over to West Africa, to Mali, to reach the Bambara people group with the gospel. Four million people, .001% followers of Jesus. We're gonna go over and we're gonna see if God might have us start a partnership or we just go after planting churches with them. And he said, I want you to go. And I'm like, what you, like, I'm just trying to like show up to church. What are you talking about, bro? And he goes, here's the thing. He said, I think that the Lord wants you and your wife to go on this trip. And he said, but here's, here's the kicker in it. One week from today... I have to have $2,000 as a deposit for you guys to, to go on this trip so we, can, so we can secure your spot and get your plane tickets. Um, at that time in my life, I was newly married broke. Anybody know what I'm talking about? New, like, I'm, I don't, and I don't know if that ever changes, but I, like, I was newly married broke, man. I mean, my wife and I, like, for our dates, we're going to Taco Bueno, getting something off the dollar menu kind of deal. Like We were just broke. And I looked at Mike, I looked at this pastor, and I said, Mike, you might, have, might as well have said $200,000 because I don't have two cents that I can give to this trip. I just don't have it. And he looks me dead in the eye and he said, Pete, God can provide for you. He said, I want you to go home and I want you and your wife to pray that God would provide. And I'm like, that's all I can do. like, I don't have anything else, God, I can pray to you, but that's all I got. So my wife and I, seriously, I mean, we are so broke. And, and we go home that night We sit down on the couch and go, God, we think that you're calling us to do this. We know that you're about unreached people groups getting the gospel. We pray that you would provide. I mean, I'm talking just, you know, simple like, you know, crossing your fingers. Hopefully God does it. The next day, I go out to the mailbox and there's a letter from the government to me. I'm like, great, I'm asking for money and God's going to take my money from me. Like, what the heck? Um, And I open up the envelope. And it's a check from the government for $800 back to me saying that I had overpaid something. And I was like, that never happens. Like, what, what are the odds of that happening? And so my wife comes home from work. I'm like, 800 bones from the government. Like, uh, what are the odds of that happening? And we're kind of like, you know, like, what? Well, we prayed for this and like the Lord did it. And so, like, our faith has increased a little bit. So that night, right, we start praying, got a little bit more faith. I'm a little bit more energetic in prayer time. God, we believe. God, we believe. Uh, and we start praying, the next day, no joke, I walk out to the mailbox, and in the mailbox is a blank envelope, and in it is a, is a cashier's check with my name on it, nobody else's name on it, for $700. And I'm like, I like look up, I'm like, God, did you, did you put that in there? Like, what in the world? Where did this come from? This is totally crazy. Now, here's, and here's the thing, my wife and I decided before this that we were like, hey, we're not going to tell anybody. We're not going to tell anybody that we need money. We're just going to pray and trust God. So here we are, day two of us praying, and we have $1,500. Boy, you should have seen me praying that night. I had faith. I was like, man, Lord, you can do all things, yeah. And so my wife and I, we sit down on the couch. Third night, God, you've provided $1,500 for us. We need 500 more. God, we ask we believe that you are about your name being proclaimed in all the nations god would you provide for us the next day i walk out to the mailbox and it's a letter from my mom and she she wrote a letter and she said pete i'm so sorry she said a month ago um the lord gave us some extra money and i was just praying about who might need some extra money and the lord brought you to mind and so she said it was a month ago, I forgot, and so I'm just going to put this, uh, and so I put it in the mailbox, I'm ho- hopefully I wasn't too late on something. And it was a check for $500. And I'm like, guys, as a been a follower of Jesus for one or two years, knowing that God is about his name being proclaimed in all the earth. And as a 20-whatever-year-old kid who had absolutely nothing to bring to the table except, God, I trust you, like, about that much. And God shows himself faithful and true because it's what he's about. Um, Here's my hope this morning, church, is that regardless of where you're at on the spectrum, if this is the first time you've heard, if you've heard a thousand times, if you've been on a million different trips, God has a role for you today in fulfilling the Great Commission, and he desires to use you. Listen, regardless of how busted, broken, jacked up you might be, let's pray and ask God that he would do that in our lives. Uh, Father, we thank you that you, man, busted and broken, God, that's like just this life and this heart, and this is all I have, and yet you choose to use the weak God, you choose to use the foolish things. God, your desire in your heart today is to use Northbrook Church to get the gospel to the ends of the earth to people who have never heard. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray for every person in this room that you would cause us and allow us to be faithful, to take the next step that you have for us. We trust that you have one for us. And so we ask that you would do that all in the name of Jesus. Amen.